0: You have your Bibles. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 89. We're going to continue our series on uh the Songbook of Jesus. And how many people have read Psalm 89 lately? Anybody? Well, I will tell you and I'll give you a warning ahead of time. It is not the most cheery book in the world. So, but it is a very real. It's a very honest, it's a very genuine book that I believe speaks very truthfully to where we're at today. So if you've ever been married before, if you ever had close relationships, maybe it's with a boss, have you ever been in the midst of an argument or a misunderstanding, and then all of a sudden it hits you, this whole thing started because I thought they said this, and it just realized that's not what they said. So here you are in the middle of an argument, in the middle of a situation, you're going, as a guy, you're thinking, "Okay, how can I turn this around and make this her fault?" <laughs> if we can just be honest. Um, but how many arguments do you, have you experienced in your family, or with your coworker, or with your boss? And the truth of the matter is, when you get down to it, it's simply because you thought or she thought you said something that you didn't say. And all of a sudden, it explodes. And you get into it, and you go, well, well, you said this. And they go, no, I didn't. Well, yes, you did. No, I didn't. This is what I said. I know you said this. No, I actually said this. (laughs) Married people in the room are smiling for a reason. And it all comes down because what we thought we heard and what we thought we knew wasn't exactly what actually happened. Maybe you thought something, they said this or that, and I know if John were here, he would back me up on this. The more you get to know your spouse, the more you trust who they are, not simply what they say. And the greater your marriage will be. When you no longer just simply listen to the words they say, but you remind yourself of who they are. But all of a sudden you're in the middle of a fight and or you hear something and you just you you you're about to come back with something and then you say okay I know who she is she would not have come across that way Something's pause and trust the person you're married to or trust your family member trust your sister your brother to trust who they are for a second and go hang on time out I don't believe you meant it this way. This is what I heard. But I don't think you meant it this way, so help me understand what you're really trying to say. I can't tell you how that kind of idea has impacted my marriage to where I will take a time out in the middle of say, okay, I know you probably didn't mean it this way, but this is the way it came across. This is what I heard. This is the way I felt. So please help me understand what you're trying to say. And that made, has made a big difference in my life. Have you ever felt... Or have you ever gotten into it? Or am I the only one that has gotten into it and realized, like, I thought they said this, but I'm experiencing this, and I'm mad about it. Has you ever had that with your spouse? Or with a brother, sister, am I the only one? Anybody awake? Good. Ready to go back? I'm just kidding. Have you ever felt that way about God? Have you ever felt, God, I thought you said this, but what I experience is this? And the two are not lining up. I thought a blessed life was supposed to look like this. I thought a life of a believer, I thought a marriage of a believer is supposed to look like this. But what I'm experiencing and what I thought I knew about you and what you've said do not line up. Has anybody ever experienced that? Good, because you're not alone. We're going to talk about it in Psalm 89. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this morning, God. I thank you that we have the privilege today of gathering together. God, because it is a privilege. There are so many tens of thousands of believers around the world who do not have the privilege that we have this morning, God. So I don't want to take that for granted. It doesn't matter how different or awkward it is right now in our period, but God, I thank you that we can come together. God, I thank you that in, in Christ we can have unity as a body of believers. That distance doesn't separate the unity that we can have in Christ. God, race doesn't matter in the kingdom of God. God I thank you that you you call us to unity. You call us one body, one nation, a holy people, a royal priesthood. God, that's who you've designed us and called us to be and I thank you that we have the opportunity to live in unity in Christ. But God, this morning I specifically pray to those who are listening to this message and are at a place of desperation and despair, a place of confusion of what they thought about not lining up with what they're experiencing, God, because that happens. That's a reality of who we are in Christ and walking this thing out. So today I pray by your Holy Spirit that you will speak through your word. Get me out of the way, God. In my weakness, I pray that you will speak this morning to your people and help us realize this is not the end. You're not done. You are constantly at work. You are good. You are righteous. You are just. And you love us, God, in spite of the difference and the stress that we feel between what we think we know about you and what we're experiencing today. So God, speak to us this morning. May your Holy Spirit fill this place, fill kitchens, fill living rooms across this country, God. And today, make us more like Jesus than we were when we came in here. We give you this morning. Holy Spirit, speak by your power. Change lives, because my words can't. Only you can. So that's what I pray this morning. Change us and make us more like Christ. We pray this in faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hopefully you have your Bibles out in front of you. You have a notebook, uh, some way to take notes because you're going to retain a lot more. So today we're going to take some time to study Psalm 89. And let's remember in this series of the songbook of Jesus how the Psalms impacted the life of Christ. He read them. He memorized them. He used them in His prayer times. He used them in His worship times. And He was from the line of King David, if you know it. And Psalm 89 is broken into two primary uh Terms When you start looking and researching, there's two things that uh, scholars call uh, the book of uh, Psalm 89. They say, first, it's, it's a covenant psalm because it speaks so clearly about the promise and the covenant that God has made with his chosen man, David. Ethan, the author, sometimes speaks of the prophecies and covenants made all through uh, 1 Kings and, and 2 Samuel and 1 Samuel that God makes to David his anointed one. So when we read uh, in Luke chapter 1, Mary, after she uh, is visited by Gabriel, she goes, after she's been um, impregnated by the Holy Spirit, she goes to her cousin or sister, Mary's house. Cousin? Aunt? Cousin, that's what I thought. See, I don't know everything either. She goes to her cousin's house and she sings a psalm in Luke, or she sings a song in Luke chapter 1, and she references Psalm 89 and we read this psalm again referenced by Paul in Acts chapter 13 when he's preaching to the church in Antioch about how Jesus is the Messiah in which they read about in the law that was promised to them so this as Jesus read psalm 89 we have to understand that he's seeing the fulfillment of his life inside of these passages He's seeing the promise of who he is inside of these passages. But remember, as we've alluded to, these are not uh, gleaming, glittering, most encouraging passages on earth. So even in those chapters in the psalm we read about of lament and praise, we still know that Jesus read these seeing who he is designed to be in Christ, or who God has designed him to be, which is the Christ, the Messiah. And so this, this the second part, thing that this chapter is called is a muskil, or muskil depends on who you listen to. I'm just going to defer to John on how you pronounce it. But basically, when you start researching it, there's two main things that people have come to conclude that means. Basically, wisdom or wise and teaching. So as we read the psalm, there's a lot of psalm that we can sing praises to God, right? that the whole thing, the last five chapters of Psalm are just beautiful praise and worship songs to God, just telling about his majesty and his glory. Some songs we use as prayer, that we can, like Psalm 91 as a church that we did for two months, that we use it in our prayer time. But this specific type of Psalm is one that we need to look to also as a teaching, as an instruction for our life, not simply a song to sing, but truly a, a guide or instruction manual on how to live out this Christian walk. Does that make sense? So it's not just a song to sing, it's truly an instruction manual to live. And why is that important? Because you need to understand life as a follower of Christ and life, period, in a fallen world will not always make sense to us. It's not, we're not promised a life of peachiness. If you come to Christ, everything's going to be great. I can attest that that's a lie. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody else attest to that? Okay. So God never promises that. What does he promise in, in Romans eight 28? I'll work all things together for good, for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. So what do you do when you hit that place in your life with what you think you know about God and what the reality of your situation do not make sense? We turn to Psalm 89 to teach us how to handle those situations because this is the kind of passage that Christ used in his life as well. So it's broken up to about, we're going to look at six different areas or are five different ways this is broken up into. So the first thing is this. He first starts off with praise and recognition of who God is. Psalm 89, if you have it open with me, let's read verses 1 and 2. It says, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said, loving kindness will be built up Forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. Isn't that sound like a man of God? God, I'm going to praise you for your loving kindness. God, I'm going to worship you. Loving kindness will be built up forever. Yeah, you're clapping now. But I want you to really pay attention. Why does he say that twice in verse 1 and 2? talks about the loving kindness of God will be forever, not Ending, right? We understand what forever means, right? Not ending, going on. Does that make sense? So forever, he's speaking in 1 and 2 that says, your loving kindness will never end. Remember that. Verse 6 and 7 goes on to say, for who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? A God greatly feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all those who are around him he takes time to say, there is no one like our God. His loving kindness for me will go on forever. Have you ever been in a worship service where you just feel God's presence is so real and you just go, man, this is amazing and incredible. God is here. I can feel him. He is present. He is in the moment. Praise God. Then you walk out to lunch and you want to slap somebody across the face. (laughs) Maybe you're married to him. Maybe you just strapped him in a seatbelt in the back seat. Real talk here this morning, okay? But what I want us to learn from this is the same lesson that Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 6. The disciples came to him and said what? Lord, teach us to pray. What did Jesus say? Pray like this. And what does he say? Our Father who is in heaven. Who is he talking to? God. Hallowed be your name. Say that with me. Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why is that important? Because I try to tell people so many times, like how you frame your time with God drastically impacts the effectiveness of your prayer time. So if you enter into your prayer time and time alone with God, which Psalm 89 is a prayer to God, we understand that. When you enter into your prayer time and you frame your time, you walk into your time with God and start laying out your problems. What you frame that entire time that you're spending a time with God is about your problems. And so then what happens is you try to tell God to insert himself into your problems. That's not how God's outlined in his word that we should pray. We go in and we tell that time and we frame that time about who God is. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth is in heaven. What did he do in Psalm 89? He started his prayer time saying, God, this is who you are. And then what happens when he says... Now take your prayers, take your things that you need, take your requests, lay them before God, and your problems will never be bigger than the God whom you're praying to. But in reverse, if you frame your entire prayer time about your problems, your God will never be bigger than your problems. Does that make sense? So we have to start our prayer time, and we need to learn this from this chapter, that our prayer times have to be about beginning our prayers recognizing who God is you know one reason that is important because a lot of times we enter our prayer times and our problems are all that are on our mind that's all we're thinking about we're thinking about our anxiety we're thinking about our bank account we're thinking about our marriage we're thinking about our finances we're thinking about our job we're thinking about the boss we want to slap across the face that's all we're thinking about in the moment And yes, how important it is to frame our time and all that. Yes, I've just told you that. But at the same time, there's another element to it. We need to remind ourselves in a moment the God in which we're praying to. We're not just coming to a friend who we want to lay our problems before. We're approaching the God of the universe who can fix them all, first of all. But he's also the God who created it all and is worthy of all our praise and admiration and glory. And we need to remind ourselves some days of the character of who he is. Because we forget who He is. We forget and we allow the enemy to come into our minds and make us believe that God isn't really as faithful as He should be. God really isn't as just as He should be. If God's loving, then why am I going through this situation? And sometimes we need to go into our prayer times and speak what we know about God in faith, not because we feel it. Does that make sense? So what's the second thing? He reminded Himself or reminding myself and God what he has said. So he says, God, this is what you have said. You said this. Let's read it in verse 3 and uh, 4. I have made a covenant. This is, he's speaking for God, speaking to his people. He said, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Skip down to verse 28. He says, my loving kindness I will keep for him forever. There's that whole loving kindness forever thing. Does anybody getting a theme of this? So not only did the psalmist write, your loving kindness will be forever, he then says, God, you have said, my loving kindness will be forever. Verse 29 says, so I will establish his, which is David, descendants forever and the throne as the days of heaven. So I will establish a Messiah one day to reign and rule forever. That's what we're talking about here. That's the covenant that we're talking about is the promised Messiah who will reign and rule and make all things right. Isn't that a great thing to remind yourself of? Sometimes we need to remind ourselves, and by reminding ourselves, we're also reminding God, "Hey, God, this is what you've said." However, so a lot of times I feel like in Christianity today we have a propensity, we have this habit to encourage people to pray the promises of God, speak the promises of God to us. Anybody know Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? Of course we do. What's Jeremiah twenty nine twelve? Oh, I forgot that promise. Oh, and what about, uh, you know, Psalm 374? Take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. We pray the prayers and we pray the, the promises. What about the disciplines? One of the things I love when I read through this psalm time and time again is the fact that not only did the psalmist Remind himself and God of the promises and the victories in which he promised the people of Israel. But He also, God also promised that if you disobeyed, there, he would bring discipline and judgment to his people. We can so easily live in the promises and the goody feelings that God and his promises, and forget that God also promised discipline and judgment for those who disobeyed his word. We need to sometimes remember in those hard situations that... Wait a second. Maybe this is not, God, where are you? It's more of, where am I in God? Does that make sense? So the psalmist didn't, get, didn't bring his request, which we're going to get to in a moment, of, God, where are you? After the, God, this is how good you promised everything would be. He also said... God, I know that you have promised to bring judgment on those who do not follow your ways and disobey your laws. Why is that important? Because we cannot have the promises without of uh, blessing without also the promise of discipline and judgment. Because God is a just God. He cannot and will not put up with sin that remains in our life. He can't do it. So we have to understand as we enter in this relationship with God, this is a twofold. Yes, he has promised to bless, but he has also promised to discipline you because he loves you. And that's one of the things I love about this this chapter. So then, reminding himself of what God has said, the good and the bad, then he moves on to what? This is not what you said. You promised blessing, and yet here all of a sudden, this is how great God is. This is how good his promises are. And then all of a sudden he breaks into a place where his reality and his expectations are not meeting. And there's confusion, there's anger, there's frustration. Anybody ever experienced that with God? Verse 38 and 40 says this. It says, but you have, re- you have cast off and rejected. You have been full of wrath against your anointed. You have spurned the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown in the dust, and you have broken down his walls, and you have brought his strongholds to ruin. Commentaries teach us that this, the, the author of this was alluded to in 1 Kings, and this was a more than likely a... a a choir director in David's kingdom, he was a, a confidant of David and even of King Saul. Possibly even lived into the days of so- I mean Solomon, into Solomon's son Rehoboam. This is a wise man, and he was watching firsthand his king, his anointed, experience ruin and disaster and rejection from God, the same the same God who promised to restore and to make this man the seed who will reign and rule forever. How can God's promised covenant to King David be fulfilled... and yet he's also watching David's kingdom fall apart? So there's a conflict in between what he knows God has said... and the reality in which he lives. We need to understand... If you haven't experienced that in your relationship with God, you will. This is a reality of following Jesus. You're not a failure if you experience this confusion and chaos inside of your soul. Okay? This is a reality because you don't understand how God works fully. Deuteronomy speaks to the secret things are of the Lord. We don't understand all of His ways. Isaiah says, "Higher, are The heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above yours, and my thoughts are above you. We don't know how God works. And there are going to be times when what we see in the moment does not line up with what we believe about what He said. Man, if Jeremiah 29.11 is supposed to bring us hope and future and all this other stuff, why am I experiencing such pain and fear and anxiety and depression in the moment? If if I know the word's true, Jeremiah 29.11, of course, there's no way I take that out of context. Sometimes we hold God's promises to our context and our standards. And He didn't speak in our context. He spoke in His. And there are going to be times as infinite creatures speaking with an infinite God that we what we experience does not line up with what we believe His word says. And in those moments you need to understand you are not a failure If you can sit there and say, why is the opposite of what I believe about God happening? All through the Psalms we read, how is the righteous forsaken and and the, and the unrighteous blessed? Read the Psalms, man. Anybody ever been there? Am I speaking to anybody who knows what I'm talking about? Okay. So just so you know, it's been a rough week on me personally. And the struggles that I've experienced, to the place where Mark texted me on Thursday and said, "Do you want me to preach?" It's like, no. I said, because this is this is this is I'm living this. This is what I'm living now. So no, I think I'm supposed to be here. I said this in the first service. So, do you know how, when your son or daughter is born, the phrase "I love you" takes on a very new meaning. And then every single birthday after that first birthday, the second birthday, that meaning is a little bit deeper. And the third birthday, that meaning is a little bit deeper. And on the fourth, it's a little bit deeper. Or with your spouse, that first anniversary, I love you means a little bit more and deeper than it did that first year or when you got married. And then the second. So every single year that I love you, every day that I love you changes. Right? Does that make sense? I mean something you may say to your kids every night I love you, goodnight becomes a catchphrase until you have to rush them to the hospital. And then that I love you becomes so much deeper than a catchphrase. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes we use the catchphrase walking it out here and I'm telling you that the more me personally I'm just speaking for me the more I get intimate with God and sometimes the crap hits the fan the more I understand the depth of that phrase. That phrase is not just simply well you're having a bad day walk it out your day will get better tomorrow. Walking it out are you going to walk it out when the terrain gets so deep you don't know how you're going to take another step. Walk it out when all you can think about is going back to the lifestyle before because this is not what you signed up for. Walking it out, meaning how do I love my spouse when the only thing I want to do is throw something at him and never see him again? How am I going to to walk this thing out faithfully when I don't know how I'm going to feed my kids, when the only thing I want to do is quit my job and screw it all? What are you going to do? you got a choice because in those moments, there's no neutral. There's no, there's no resting in that decision. You have a decision to continue walking it out by faith, knowing that I don't feel it, and I may not even believe it right now, but I'm going to do it anyways because I know and I'm going to have faith and I'm going to trust that God is who he said he is going to be. Even though my circumstances don't tell me that. My situation right now doesn't tell me that. What I'm experiencing is the opposite of what I know to be true about God. Am I going to walk it out anyways? Am I going to walk it out because I'm running on two hours sleep every day because I'm waking up with panic attacks every night? Am I going to walk it out? When crap hits the fan, walking it out, it turns into much more than a catchphrase we use. It turns into a decision. You're going to do it or you're not. When you have a fight with your spouse, you walk out of the house, you have a decision. Am I going to walk back in and walk this relationship with God out by serving and loving that spouse? Or am I going to walk to my car? Am I going to go into work tomorrow and choose to serve that boss that I can't stand, that treats me like absolute garbage, who I'm sick and tired of? When they open their mouth... I get a pit in my stomach because I know it's going to be an absolute nightmare. But am I going to do it anyways, and am I going to smile back, and am I going to represent Christ well in that moment or not? You have a choice to make when your reality does not line up with what you believe about God. In those moments, that's what it means to walk it out. You walk something out by faith. Not just simply hoping for a better tomorrow. You walk it out by choice and you're going to have faith that the loving kindness of God will go on forever. Whether I feel it in the moment or not. Psalm 89, I want you to hear this. Psalm 89 gives you permission to be genuine with God. It gives you permission to take your frustrations and that discontentment and the stress between your reality and your expectations of God and gives you permission to be real with him. I think sometimes we we don't want to truly have it out with God. We don't want to scream at God. Who am I to scream at God? I've heard preachers tell me like I wouldn't dare scream at God. He's a holy God. Dude, half the book of Psalms to me is in a raised voice. And I'll just be honest, when you read it, oh my, how can you not hear the writer screaming at God? How long, O oh Lord, That's not a, oh, Jesus, how long? Oh, your loving kindness is nowhere near me. (laughs) Holy God, despair is my best friend. And I'm okay to disagree with pastors and people, that's fine. But when I read verses like Psalm 89, I hear God give me permission to be honest with him. Let's read it together. Psalm it's, it, or number four is an honest cry to God. Let's read verse 46 through 51 together. It says, "How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself, or excuse me, how long, O Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember what my span of life is. God, don't remember for a second how small my life is here. Is all of it going to be despair and pain? For what vanity have you created the Son of Man? Verse 48. What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Hey, you remember verse uh, uh, 1 and 2? I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. Right? Verse 2 says what? For I have said, loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. Right? He just said that in verse 1 and 2. What does verse 49 say? Where are your former loving kindnesses, O oh Lord? He just prays God for his loving kindness will never end. And now he's saying former. Because I'm not feeling it now. Have you ever had those moments going, God, I know you're good, but I'm sure as heck not feeling it today? Where are you? Where have you gone? Verse 50, remember, O Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which you your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which you have reproached the footsteps of your anointed, the depth of your faith in God. I want you to listen to me. The depth of your faith in God is shown in how faithful you will be when you don't understand your present reality. The depth of your faith in God is shown in how faithful you will be when you don't feel like it and when you don't understand your present reality. Faithfulness is not doing something you feel like doing. Faith is going, I feel opposite of this, but I'm going to do it anyways. I want to tell my wife off, but I'm going to go do the dishes anyways personal? What are you going to do in those moments where all you can think of in your prayer time is God, where are you? And I want you to know if you haven't experienced it, you will. And God gives you permission to be honest with Him and take that before Him. He can handle it. He's not intimidated by your honest and genuine prayers. He wants you. Not the fake you that you want to put on for everybody else. He wants the real you. And He can handle your questions. But that's not the end. That's not the end. And we can't allow our desperate cries to be the end of our prayers with God either. There's verse forty-two or 52. We cannot live constantly in verses 46 through 51. We may want to because we love the pity and we love feeling miserable and we want everybody to feel bad for us. But that's not where the chapter ends. That's not where the book of God ends. We're called to something more than to live here. We're given permission to experience and be honest with God, but we are not given permission to make this our final resting place. Verse 52, last verse in the... This chapter says, blessed be the name of the Lord forever and ever, er, amen. And amen. Why would he say things twice? When you do study in the, in the writings of the Bible, you'll realize, and I watch this. Go back and read the Sermon on the Mount and see how many times, or, or the book of Romans too, Ephesians Philippians Colossians same thing. When an author says something twice, again and again, it's to bring special emphasis to this. It's to specially emphasize a truth in something. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever. Amen and amen. There are going to be days when we feel like our circumstances are overwhelming us we are tired and we're just we're done and in those moments we have to be able by faith to pray and speak psalm 89:52 I do not believe this verse is simply a close to the prayer and a sweet way to end it. And Jesus says amen is the last verse in the Bible, so we need to close everything with amen. I think this amen and amen is a statement of faith from a broken, a hurting, a desperate, and a confused writer. Our circumstances cannot and will not change the character of who God is. What you're going through cannot define who God is. It can't. God is unchangeable. You can't change who God is. His attributes, His goodness, His love, His mercy, His kindness, all of those things cannot change based on the reality of where you're at and what you're going through. And we need to be able to tell ourselves that. We have to end our time with God and going, you know what, I've laid it all out. But none of this changes who you are. Blessed be your name forever. Amen and amen. And tonight when I go to bed, amen and amen. When I wake up tomorrow and I don't even want to crawl out of bed, blessed be the name of the Lord forever. Amen and amen and amen and amen and amen because this is what I choose to believe. Choose. Faith is a choice that you have to make. And you are going to take God at His word and for who He has told you He is, whether your circumstances back that up or not. Our faith needs to live in verse forty-two or fifty-two. Uh, James Alting, who lived in the sixteen hundreds, this is what he writes about Psalm fifty or uh, eighty-nine, fifty-two. He said, "Blessed be the name of the Lord, for, or blessed be the Lord forevermore." Amen and amen. Victory begins to shine in the phrase, Blessed be Jehovah forevermore, amen and amen. Some think that these words are not the words of the psalmist because they are of the opinion that they do not agree with the preceding, but were written by another or added by the collector of the psalms as a concluding doxology. Or if the psalmist wrote them, he did so merely finishing his prayer. But it is a matter of the greatest Moment, the greatest moment of Psalm 89 is in verse 52. Not at the first when he was praising God for how great his loving kindness will be forever. The greatest verse in Psalm 89 is verse 52. Because he says, no matter what I feel and no matter what I see and no matter what I'm experiencing, I will bless the name of the Lord forever. Amen and amen, so be it. It's the choice he made. Going back to what he said, he said, For it indicates the victory of faith, since he observes that after that grief, the reproach of the heel is gloriously removed, that the Messiah may remain a victor forever. Because remember, Psalm 89 is a covenant verse reminding us of who the Messiah is. That this should certainly take place. He adds the seal of faith again and again. Amen and amen. As believers, we find hope and in the dark night, that one day God will make all things right. This is not the end. Your anxiety is not the end. Your depression is not the end. Your job that you hate is not the end. Your struggle with addiction is not the end. God has written who the, what the end is. All the bad situations we will face will one day may be made right. We're allowed to be broken. We're allowed to question God. But we also need to speak the faith to our circumstances that say God is not done. Because it's not good yet. Romans 8, 28. For God works all things together for good for those who love Him, for those who are called according to His purpose. Right? So if it's not good, then God's not done yet. And sometimes we have to tell ourselves that. It's not the hope of psalms is that this is not the end that we have a messiah who will make all things right it's the hope of the word of god it's the hope we have in christ that the the hope we hold on to in the times of confusion in the times of chaos the times of anxiety the times of depression whatever you're going through in times of addiction that the hope we have is that one day god will be Honor His word. He will fulfill what He has said. He will fulfill those promises and make all things right in the end. That's the hope we always can hold on to. That hope does not mean that our present circumstances may not drive us to the very edge of our faith. Because some days they will. But when you're on the edge, you have a choice to put that faith into action, to walk it out, And say, blessed be the name of the Lord forever. Amen. My circumstances will not define the God I have. We're going to spend a few minutes, just a few minutes, worshiping God this morning. God is faithful to his character, to his word, to his promises. But I want to encourage you today. Be honest with God. Because he can handle it. In order to be honest with God, you do realize you have to be honest with yourself, right? Okay, just saying. So, as we stand with me, we're going to spend some time worshiping Jesus, and this is what I want to challenge you to do. I challenge you to take some time today and speak faith into whatever circumstances you're going through. If it's a job, if it's a relationship, if it's anxiety or depression, whatever your circumstance that is captivating your mind and attention and emotions right now, I want to challenge you for the next few minutes to speak by faith to that circumstance and remind your mind and tell that circumstance who your God is. Because it may take years it may take your lifetime. God never promised that he would make all things right in our lifetime. But he promised that he would make all things right. So I want to take some, just a few minutes to close us out today. Whether it's you're in a kitchen or a living room or here with us today. Let's take some time to be honest with God. Maybe you just need to cry out this morning and say, God, where are you? How long? Where is your loving kindness gone? God can handle it. If that's what you need to do this morning, then do it. But I believe some of us just need to tell our situations and our circumstances, I will walk this out. God is good. He will make things right. And I choose today to bless His name, no matter what my circumstances tell me, I will bless the name of the Lord. I prayed this morning on the way to church. I said, "God, this is it for me. I'm all in. I'm not going back. Doesn't matter what my circumstances. Doesn't matter. This is this is the life I've chosen. For good, for bad, the ugly." I know I'm not wrong but if I am this is what I've chosen and I'm not turning back from it. And I pray that you can pray the same thing today. That you'll tell God and you'll tell your circumstances this is it. This is what I choose. I'm going to believe by faith in who God has told me He is. Who He's showed me in His word to be.